Today's message is called, Jesus First is a Choice. It's a choice. When Scripture tells us, you know, to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto thee, do you know that that is a choice to lean into that? There's a difference between decisions and choices. And I know that often they may feel like it's a little bit about the same, but hear me, the definition of a decision is this. It's the act of or need for making up one's mind. Now I can tell you, I've already made up my mind that Jesus is my Lord. I've made up my mind that He gave His life. He lived a spotless, blameless life that God in flesh took on humanity, my humanity, bore my guilt, my shame, my sin, died on the cross. Come on, three days later, rose again, again, conquered hell, death, and the grave. I have that settled in my mind. That is what my salvation is based on. But hear me, friends. The choice comes every single day. Am I going to choose to put Him first? I've made a decision. My mind's made up about who He is. But every single day, you and I are confronted with opportunities, presented with opportunities that will I put him first. So let's go back to the scripture, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I love the amplified version of this because it expounds it even more. It says, but first and most importantly, seek. It means to aim at, to strive after. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It's his way of doing and being right. It's the attitude and the character of God and all these other things, come on, that aren't as important as the kingdom, they're going to be added to you also. So decision is I've got my mindset, but here's what a choice is. It's the right, it's the power, it's the opportunity. Will you say opportunity? It's the opportunity to choose. Thank you, Michael. You're awesome. I appreciate you, man. So let's have a little bit of fun. I want to hear, I'm going to put some choices up on the screens and I want you to shout out your choice. So which choice? Cat or dog? <laughs> Judging you people right now. Okay. Okay. I heard some cats. I heard, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a dog person, but let's go over here. Are you a beach person or a mountain person? Always beach. I like that. Same here, girl. Always beach. Always beach. Even though my complexion never says always beach. Donuts or apple? <laughs> Unfortunately, for the last 21 days, it's been this. But I'm really looking forward till tomorrow morning <laughs> when it's going to be that. <laughs> right? These are choices. And here's the deal. The goal of a choice is that we make choices based on values beliefs, and where a selected choice may take us. So I look at it, I, I look at the choices before me, and the goal is, is that my values are going to have a say in that, my beliefs are going to say in that, and I'm really thinking of, if I make this choice, where is that selected choice going to take me? Now that's the goal of making a choice, it's a process, but here's the reality, we make choices based on our current feelings and our circumstances, and you might be saying, no I didn't, no I don't well, let me ask you this. Did you plan to have dinner last night? Or did you say, what do I feel like, right? What do you feel like for dinner? Isn't that the truth? I could have chicken already thought out, but if I don't feel like it, 
I may go get some Thai food. Like we just don't know what that looks like. And let me tell you, you may think that decisions are hard, but choices are more difficult because you only get one or the other. Choices are difficult. And hear me, Jesus first is a daily choice. It's a daily choice. Now, do you remember the gentleman that we talked about a few weeks ago with Pastor Jeremy when Jesus gave him a choice to follow him? He said to another, follow me. But the gentleman said back to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now hear me, if you, if you miss that message, you're like, Jesus is a little bit of a not kind person. Let the dead go bury the dead. Now, if you look at the historical portion of this message, this man's father was not dead yet. He was at a place where, yes, he could potentially die in the future, but this gentleman wanted to get all of his affairs in order for his father because that would mean that he would have an inheritance. And if he had an inheritance, that would sure up his life a little bit more. It would be a little bit more stable. And so what that gentleman's perspective was, let me take care of some responsibilities before I put Jesus first. Remember, it was, I've got some things to do before I fully commit to you. Now that was that gentleman. But I want us to look at something today. I want us to look at choices as opportunities. Because I think if we change our mind about choices being opportunities, we're going to choose a little bit differently when things come in front of us. So I want to look at the life this morning of a gentleman who is completely opposite. His reaction is so opposite of the Luke chapter 9 guy with his dad. I want to look at this man, and in order to do so, we're going to have to go way back to the Old Testament before Jesus had even arrived on the scene. We have to go back to this man because his response is so pure and it's so quick that I'm like, God, if I could make choices like that, if I could get into his mind and see his mindset on how he processes, how to make choices, whew, the life that I could live, the opportunities that I can have. So today I want to talk to you about Elisha. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, so Elijah went and found Elisha. Now hear me, Elijah is a prophet. He is a powerful prophet. A prophet was a messenger of God. So God would use these prophets to be God's mouthpiece, to speak messages to the people, to do acts on God's behalf. And so he was God's right-hand man to the people. So Elijah went out and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Now Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Now let's, let's talk about that for a minute because I want you to know that God had told Elijah, I want you to go anoint Elisha as the prophet who is going to take your place. Now Elisha was doing what Elisha did every single day. Elisha was plowing the fields. And if he had 12 sets of oxen, come on, that's a whole lot of fields. And so he was on the last set of oxen when this man that he does not necessarily know, or maybe he can't see, just comes up randomly and throws a cloak on him and then walks away, right? Just chucks a cloak on him and heads off. Now to us, that would be really, really weird. It's like you're in a movie theater, mind your own business, eating your own popcorn, and somebody comes up and puts their nice jacket over you and then walks away. 
Or maybe you're in the parking lot and you're heading to your car. Like, don't do that to me. I'll turn around and punch you in the face. You try to put something on my back. But someone puts something on your back and then turns around and walks away. Now hear me. It may seem that that would be a little awkward to us. But to Elisha, it was not awkward because Elisha knew what that meant. What that cloak represented for a prophet was a mantle. A mantle is not something that you're picturing on your fireplace right now. A mantle was a spiritual anointing. It was a spiritual calling that would set you apart for a certain work that God had you. So Elisha knew immediately what that cloak represented. You might be saying, well, Lindsay, how do you know? How do you know that he knew immediately? Because look at his reaction. Elisha left the oxen standing there. He stopped working immediately. And he ran after Elijah and said, first, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye. Now hear me, that sounds a little bit like the Luke chapter nine guy, right? Let me go take care of a couple things before I commit to you. But this is what he says, let me go kiss my mom and my dad goodbye. And then I will go with you. Elijah replied, go on back. But think about what I just done to you. (laughs) In other translations, it says, well, what did I do to you? And the reason why he says, well, what did I do to you? Because Elijah was simply doing what God had asked him to do. So it wasn't that Elijah was calling Elisha into a place of being a prophet because that's what that mantle placing meant. It said that I have chosen you, I have appointed you, that you are going to be a prophet. Here is my mantle. And so Elisha knew what that meant. And Elijah was saying, I didn't choose you, God chose you. And continued on his way. And so here's how we know that he knew exactly what that meant. So Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah to be his assistant. He went and he burned the only means of income that he would ever have. He went and took what would be the excuse to not follow Elijah and become a prophet in training. He burned it. He got rid of it. And so here's what all of us can take from Elisha's story is that God will call, but how will you respond? God is going to call. And it may not be as extravagant as a cloak being placed on you, of the mantle of a prophet, but maybe it's that you're in a coffee shop And somebody caught your eye and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to talk to that person. I don't know, Lord. What if you're in the middle of work and God puts somebody on your heart and he wants you to stop and pray right there? That person's not there. They're never going to know whether or not you prayed for them. But God asked you to pray for them. See what I'm saying? Have you ever had a little bit of unction of something that I'm supposed to do something? See, I find it fascinating that Our phones really set us up on how to respond, don't they? They've got this little do not disturb button, right? Do not disturb. We can say that I'm not available. Why? Because I'm focusing. It's personal time. I love this. I'm driving. Alicia, you got that one, girl. I've texted you before. I'm driving. Sorry, I'm like, you're way safer than I am. (laughs) I didn't even know that button existed. But I don't know if I'd use it anyways. But anyways, sleep. You can literally put, I am sleeping now. So that when people try to contact you, it says, I'm sorry, Lindsay Bosma is sleeping. 
I'm, I'm doing personal things. It's none of your business. You know what that means? That means it's none of your business what I'm doing, but I don't want to do it with you. <laughs> and I don't want to talk to you. And this is, I'm trying to be responsible. I am not able to be bothered right now. Now we put those on our phones so that people, when they call us, isn't that great though? Because before you're like, ooh, if I clear the number, they know I'm going to send it to voicemail. And they know I saw that. They called me. Some of y'all just let it ring, huh? You set it down. I'm not noticing it. They're just going to think I'm not even there. But I want to ask you, how many do not disturbs do we set up with God? How many of these have we already set on our heart, on our mind, on our spirit, on our lives that, sorry, Lord, I'm on my way somewhere right now. I can't be bothered. Or Lord, it's time for me to, to rest, Lord. This is, my, this is my break time. Did you know I just clocked out at five o'clock? I'm taking a nap, Lord. What if it's my personal time? Jesus, I don't want to be bothered in this situation right now. I might not be doing what you want me to do, but I'm, I'm, it's my personal time. Lord, you don't have access to that. And then what about my work? God, you can't touch my stability. Can't touch my responsibilities. See, the interesting thing is that responses reveal. How we respond reveals. When the gentleman in Luke chapter 9 told, I think about this, man. Jesus looked at him and said, follow me. Can you imagine being face-to-face with God in flesh? I mean, if you've watched The Chosen, I'm like, I just want to sit with the actor. He seems so nice. But he's representing who Jesus would be in person, interacting with ordinary people like you and I. How would I feel if Christ came and stood in front of me face-to-face and gave me an invitation to join me in what I'm doing? Would I fall to my knees in like complete awe that... You know what I did and you picked me? Who, what do I have to offer and yet you're inviting me? Or would I be like the gentleman in Luke 9? No, let me sure up my life and my stability. And then I'll come, I'll come look for you, Jesus, when I got all this stuff handled. See, responses reveal. When Elisha went and told him, wait, I'm gonna go kiss my mom and my dad goodbye. It wasn't just about kissing his parents goodbye. It was literally about removing his plan B. He knew that if I make this heavenly barbecue, he set his career on fire and served it up roasted barbecue to his neighbors. He said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to remove my other options because I'm going to follow you. Because I'm going to follow you. And so let's learn some lessons from Elisha today. How can I be ready that if God calls, because hear me, it's not about if he calls, it's when he calls, right? If I'm listening is more like it. But if God ever asks anything of me, or if there's an area in my life where I need to put Jesus first, how do I prepare for that so that I can respond immediately with a yes, like Elisha did? Number one, we got to settle the cost. Settle the cost. What does that mean, Lindsay? Lindsay? It means that you got to get it in your head and your heart what it's going to cost ahead of time. That I knew that when I gave my life to Jesus, and hear me, friends, I did a whole lot of living before I gave my life to Jesus. And I knew that surrendering my life to him would really make my life look a lot different than what it did before Jesus. I knew there were some friendships and some relationships that I was going to have to surrender. I knew that there were some not legal activities that I was going to have to surrender. I knew that there were things about my life 
that would no longer align with following Jesus. I settled the cost when I said yes. I also settled the cost when I knew that we would be planting a church. And hear me, it's hard to settle the cost because settling the cost is you're acknowledging what it's going to take from you. Settling the cost means I'm acknowledging what I'm gonna gain, but I'm also gonna acknowledge what I'm going to lose. See, Elisha had already settled the cost in his head. He already knew that to follow after God, to be a prophet, would mean that his wealth would no longer be available to him. It meant that the close relationships and the family and the community in his town would no longer be what his life was defined by. His life would be a nomad. It'd be traveling. It'd be doing whatever the Lord had asked him at the mercy of the Lord. He settled the cost. And hear me, he settled the cost of dedicating his life as a prophet before the invitation to become one. Have you ever thought, God, what would I do if you asked me to leave my career? God, what would I do if you put this opportunity before me and I had to make a choice? Have you ever considered settling a cost before the invitation came? I think it's a really wise idea, friends. I don't think it's taking the the plans away from God and putting it into our own plans in our own hands. I really think it's a heart issue. It's God that I want my heart and my mind to align that when you call, I will be ready to respond because I already know what the cost is. We need to settle the cost. We also need to anticipate. Can I ask you what your expectation levels are? I remember what my papa said. I grew up with an absentee dad. And I remember one time he was supposed to come pick me up when I was very little. And I remember sitting at my papa's piano bench and the piano bench overlooked the front yard and I sat there for hours and hours and hours waiting for my dad to pick me up. We were supposed to hang out that day and he never came. And I remember my papa came and he sat me down in his living room and he said, Lindsay, lower your expectations so you don't get disappointed. I was like six people. Lower your expectations so that you don't get disappointed. Do you know what that did to me? I carried that on into my teenage years, into my adult years where I stopped placing expectations on people and put all the expectations on myself. Where did a perfectionist come from? Don't place expectations on others so that you don't get disappointed. But can I ask you, Where's your expectation level? Because God has healed that place in my heart where I realized that, no, 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 I was never called to do things on my own. There's a great anticipation that I can have that God is with me and for me and he wants to do wonderful things in my life and he wants people to come around me and we're gonna do these things together. Where's your expectation level at? Do you have an expectation for your life that God wants to do the extremely, exceedingly abundant things in your life? Or is it, I'm going to have a life. I'm just waking up tomorrow. I'm working for my paycheck. It's just going to be another week. Where's your expectation level? Because hear me, to anticipate means to expect, to look forward to, to be sure of. I can tell you that for our heart as a team, we have an anticipation for what the night of worship is going to be like tonight. We have an expectation 
that we have been praying and we have been fasting and we have been seeking the face of God. We have the anticipation that Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is going to meet us in a special way tonight. Where's your anticipation? See, Elisha anticipated that one day there may be someone who calls my name. He anticipated, and hear me, it's really interesting because he was wealthy. He, he was of good health himself. He was a strong man working with 12 oxen. He had a wonderful community. And you may have all these wonderful things in your life, but there's still a yearning in you that, God, there's something more. I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't define it, but God, there's just not this satisfaction in me. And hear me, it's not that you have to keep chasing after success. It's not that you have to keep chasing after a stimulation or a relationship or something, something. No, it's that God may be putting a choice in front of you. And the choice is going to be an opportunity to respond to him in a special way. So we're going to settle the cost. What would it cost me to lead a Ruta group over the next 10 weeks? A whole lot of prayer, friends. It takes prayer. When you insert yourself into a position where you're going to grow and people around you are going to grow, that's going to tick off the enemy. You got to pray. What does it cost me to lead a Ruta group over the next 10 weeks? I got to be constant. I got to show up on the day that I said I'm going to show up for the next 10 weeks. <laughs> I'm going to have to communicate. I'm going to be talking to people in my group for the next 10 weeks. Settle the cost. Anticipate. Friends, anticipate that it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. If I could sing that song, it's going to be worth it, but I don't sing. I would sing it right now, Abby. I love your gift. I don't have it. But you anticipate. But that requires trust, friends. Do you know what trust means? It means to be secure and confident in the integrity of something or the person. God's character does not change. The Bible says he cannot lie. He cannot be swerving back and forth. He's unwavering. He does not change. He does not lie. Where's our trust level at? Because hear me, the trust really helps us settle the cost. The trust says that, okay, God, if you call me out of my career, if you change my direction, even at 58 years old, I trust that when I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are going to be added unto me. All of them. You said that, look at the lilies of the field and how I clothe them. Won't you clothe me? Look at how I provide for the birds in the air. Don't I love you more than birds? Won't I provide you shelter, food in your belly, clothes on your back? Do you trust me? Because as I trust in who God is, and I learn about his character, my God that moves mountains, my God that heals the sick, my God who restores sight to the blind, my God that took ordinary people and invited them into extraordinary ways of life. Not because they deserved it, not because they earned it, but because God deemed it, he gave them a choice. And that is the beautiful thing, friends. You are not trapped in your relationship with Jesus. You have every opportunity to walk away from it. I'm not trapped in being your pastor. 
I could literally walk off and say, today is the day that I'm done because I'm not trapped. But it is a choice that I make every single day that God, you are good and you are with me and you've set my life apart and I am just so honored and privileged, but I'm not trapped. It's a choice. But hear me, isn't that freeing? To me, that's not scary that I have choices. It's freedom. It's freedom. Because there's grace when I say no when I should have said yes. There's grace when I said yes when, come on, somebody, I should have said heck no. There's grace. Where's your trust level? Where's your trust? And I'm not going anywhere. I love being your pastor, by the way. <laughs> not going anywhere. You see, Elisha's name means my God saves. Oh, isn't that good? My God saves. I think about that. He was plowing fields and his name meant my God saves. I just wanna ask you, what do you do while you're living your ordinary life? When I'm sitting at my desk and I'm typing, am I living in my identity that my God saves? Am I living in the identity that I'm just not Lindsay who's just typing? No, I'm a child of God. I'm set apart. I'm, I'm loved by God. I am more than enough. Man, I've messed up, but His grace covers my life. I've got the Spirit of God living inside of me. It's just not ordinary work anymore. I imagine Elisha's life as he faithfully plowed those fields up and down. God, you're going to do something one day. God, I feel it. There's, a, there's an anticipation in me that my life is not always going to be this way. But until you call me out, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Amen. You see, decisions are, are sometimes hard, but choices are more difficult. And all of us have the opportunity to choose Him first daily. And because our God is so good, I know right now the Holy Spirit is sharing with you maybe an area in our life where He's not first. You have the freedom to choose. Will you put Him in the driver's seat? Some of y'all don't even have him in the back seat. Some of y'all like, get in the trunk. Some of y'all didn't even give him a ride <laughs> in that particular area in your life. I've been there. Sorry, you don't even get to get in the car on this one, Jesus. You don't want to be here when I do this. <sighs> See, it's easier to make choices when our decisions are a little bit shored up. It's easier to make choices when I am secure and locked in on my foundation of my beliefs and my values. And so let me show you some things that we've already decided. I have decided that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Come on. I have decided that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have decided that I have the Holy Spirit. I have decided that I am not alone. Some of you have to say, I have decided that I am not alone. You have to make that personal. You're not alone. You're not alone. I've decided that you have purpose, right? I have purpose. You have purpose. We've decided that God uses people to do his work here on earth. We've settled it in our minds that God still does miracles. Amen. He still does miracles. I've decided that God can call me. And most importantly, I decided I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. See, every day you have a choice to put Jesus first. 
So I want us just to close our eyes in here for a moment. And I want us to ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you show us where I need to put you first in my life? Holy Spirit, will you show us where I need to put you first in my life? would you give me the strength and the courage to do what it's going to take to put you first? Friends, let me be real with you for just a minute. Elisha had to burn his plow, kill his oxen in order to follow the Lord. Some of us may need to go home and throw some things away. They're not serving you. You know, in the brokenness of our humanity and just in the inability of coping skills, a lot of us choose some unhealthy things to try to take on a healthy mindset, a peaceful mindset, a joyful mindset. He may need to say, nope, that's been a substitution for putting Jesus first. And hear me, I know the fear that it takes to remove something from your life. I know the cost of what it feels like that, oh my goodness, if I remove that, oh, if I kick them out of my life, what will my life look like? Can I tell you who knows the cost too? Jesus. And he has promised that he will not overwhelm you with a burden that you cannot handle. But I can tell you that some of us are carrying weights around of sin and pain and shame that we are not meant to carry. He is meant to carry. So the Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord for he cares for us. That word cast means to violently throw off. It means that I am sick and tired of trying to get good results from this. I am sick and tired of being some of you. Or your shoulders are so tight. Your headaches are so consistent because of the tension that we have from carrying weights that we were never meant to carry. Violently throw it off. Do you think Elisha kindly slaughtered and burned some stuff? I can just imagine Elisha going to town like, it is done. I'm not coming back. Some of y'all flush it down the toilet and do not reach in to grab it before it goes all the way down. Be done with it. It's not good for you. It's not going to help you. It's going to keep you in chains. And hear me, get help to move through it. It's not something that you're supposed to suffer with alone. It's something that we could rely on men and women of God. Doctors, come on. Therapists, come on. I know amazing men and women who have been called 
to the ministry that have been placed mantles upon them for mental health, for medical. It's a beautiful thing when we decide that God, you care about the whole person. You care about my physical. You care about my spiritual. You care about my mental health. You care about my heart. I'm so sick and tired of religious organizations only caring about your spirit and only caring about what you do with your body. You are a whole person. And my Bible says that my God has come to make the whole person new. So can we put God first? Holy, holy, settle the cost. It ain't easy, but I'm 20 years breathing telling you that it's worth it. <laughs> Not 21, 20 years old, girl. I'm way past 20 years old. <laughs> but 20 years walking with Jesus. Some of you are warriors in this room. And you've got war wounds because you've been walking with him for a long time. But he's worth it. And so if you were at a place where you need help today, I want you to come talk to me. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to invite Pastor Jeremy to come hang out with me today. Lorenzo will be up here too afterwards. And just come talk to somebody. And we will get you what you need. And then I want to encourage you. Let's build our spirits up tonight. Let's tell our families, guys, suck it up, buttercup. I had to tell my 11-year-old, suck it up, buttercup. We are coming back for worship night tonight. We're going to have a good lunch. I'm going to get you early dinner. But we're coming back to worship, and you're going to worship with mama. Because it's going to be good for his soul. It's going to be good for my soul. So make the arrangements, friends. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. You're so good. Father, I know that there's people in this room. God, you're, give them the, the bravery to talk. Let them reach out today for help. And let us be ready to answer and to move together to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto thee. Amen, amen, and amen.